Thaddeus Ellenberg presents Casual Friday. Written and read by Thaddeus Ellenberg. Gensingers versus Mossers. In the smoke-filled mountains of his stable majesty's one-time colonies of Yankee persuasion, there is a peat so prolific, so profitable, its divine glory possesses an unequivocally pure Protestant prerogative. A sacred, bountiful bestowment within the many stateside splendors, which still remain in the magistry of Mother Nature's ancient treasury. Laird Bacon, Poet, Wilmingtonshire, 1819. In Crocker County, North Carolina, things are heating up between rival gatherers, and a new urban-born mushroom rush is budding ginsengers and old-time mossers scrambling to reclaim their territories. With orders to fill and trespassers running rampant, the fleeting light of the season is spent under the gun in more ways than one. Seventh-generation ginsenger Mike Skaggs raises the alarm over increased packs of intruding shroomers and consults a higher power. The head of the ginsengers, his uncle, Clayton Cornbread Skaggs, son of fabled ginsenger Lamb Tommy Toe Skaggs, and great-nephew of Luther Skaggs, better known as Daddy Longlegs. Clayton presides over the pivotal province of Musty Creek in the Martinsburg District and sits on the Crocker County Council of Gatherers, dubbed, in a nutshell, the council. Serving as the county's central governing body for foragers, the council was established in 1887, following the mass expulsion of pokeweed harvesters from the region, and serves as a temporary truce among gatherers. Today, the council represents five classes of foragers, ginsengers, drufflers, rampers, frassers, and mossers. And on this day, in the early morning hours of a new dawn, the council captains make their way to a secret summit in the rich lowlands of Rollins Valley to devise a recourse against the impinging mushroomers. It's been many moons since the council last assembled, and like many of the area's old hands, the grudges formed of the last century remain fumed like embers in a fire. In 1892, several years after the council's formation, the United States government passed a federal tax on the sale of forged goods. A bill fostered by President Grover Cleveland and his congressional cohorts of private business owners with financial interests in American industry and agriculture, including California Senator Rutherford Coons, whose family at the time owned the nation's largest berry production company, which was poised to lose out in the unregulated local and statewide sale of raspberries and blackberries. It was a match struck against the broken backs of foragers everywhere, and it led to a seven-month period of violent protest and civil unrest throughout southern streets, known as the Harvester's Rebellion. And in Crocker County, North Carolina, with shrinking profit margins amid an excess tax imposed directly on the foragers, 
Upscaling was vital. Territory became everything. It was a democratic capitalist campaign that came full cocked in the fall of that same year with the 1892 constitutional ban on the harvest, transport, and sale of all forged goods. And despite being repealed in the midst of the Great Depression these hardships, it would result in a hundred years of hostility among gatherers in a blood-soaked power struggle for Appalachian ground. At an undisclosed location, the council's five bosses stifled their bad blood to quell a common enemy. We've gathered here today at the old Gristle Mill restaurant because of the flagrant actions of some new highfalutin craze that's got our heritages under attack, announced a senior ginsinger, Clayton Skaggs, urging the distinguished group. These tumors has got to be dealt with so we can get things fixed back right. They trampled a whole thicket of our sassafras. Frasser patriarch Ansel Ambrose, better known as Chow Chow, cries out with angst before passing around a mason jar of homemade root beer. Including all the undergrowth for our love sores. And it's flare-up season. They ain't my people. Acclaimed truffler Frickles Dutton assures the others. They didn't let my gate open and all my heat-up sows got loose. Frickles says in a fever, angrily popping into his mouth a piece of fried okra from a handkerchief. My darlings ate a air better product we had and are still out there running some kind of wild. Ramps are just leeks, like onions. Interjects Elder Ramper Cyrus Cathead Vernon before the committee lets out a clamorous groan. Not this again. All right, Cathead, that, that's enough. Cornbread insists. Just be thankful we let you sit at the table. Prop a door open. Ansel presses with a curled lip. It's bowed up something awful in here. The council majority recognizes the pungent residual fragrance of ramps. And I reckon you want us working together on this. Spouts off the 82-year-old second cousin of J.T. Woolcock, living legend and Mosser boss Jasper Sweetspud Woolcock. Oh, you'd like that, wouldn't you? Strike us while our guard's down, huh? In a room of ill will that's trickled down the decades, seeing eye to eye on a shared opposition is no simple task. In the summer of 1954, Jasper's papaw, Linus Elderberry Woolcock, was transporting to bed a premium black bluff emerald green across county lines on the cover of darkness. While crossing the Bob White Creek Bridge, Linus and his monster crew were ambushed by a posse of law enforcement, aided by an armed gang of Skaggs family enforcers, the Bob White Creek Bridge Massacre. What the Woolcocks didn't know at the time is that the Gensingers, led by Clayton's now 95-year-old porch-bound granduncle, Marshall Skaggs, otherwise known as Moe, short for molasses on account of his reputation for running both slow and hot, were hand-in-glove with local authorities. Lawfully lawless cooperation formed in the wake of the arranged shotgun wedding of Molasses' nephew and middle boy of Luther Skaggs, H.W., to the daughter of fabled and feared Crockett County lawman Gary One Bullet Wallace, who, after being stripped of his badge in 1967 and publicly flogged with a smallmouth bass, went on to steward the whole of the Skaggs' southern distribution well into the 1970s. 
It said that the carnage on the bridge that day was so severe, the Bob White Creek's tributaries ran red three counties away. Bulldust. <laughs> Jasper shouts at Clayton while spitting at the floor. Suddenly on the trail of a clangorous commotion from outside, the momentous congregation is broken up quicker than it's still on Sunday. As in Prance's mushroomer Ashton Corgi with a flashy group of weekend gatherers. Okay, everybody, a quick 10-minute pit stop for bathrooms and refueling. The shroomer in hemp overalls cuffed smartly above his stylish ankle boots announces to his guests in front of a gobsmacked council. And I mean 10. Hey, fellas. Mind if I fill up my smart canteen? It's brutal out there. I low-key want applesauce right now. Is that weird? I know, sugar, it's the devil. Say, where do you guys get your applesauce? Maybe we could work something out. Ashton proposes to the committee, plopping himself down at the council table. You all look like you could use some sunscreen. Would you like a squirt? How about you, Pops? Can I squirt you? In southern Appalachia, the riffraff of an unwelcome kind are running right in Crocker County. And the council of gatherers have their hands full. And if things couldn't get any worse for local foragers, back outside, 40 feet to the southeast, in the gravel grass parking lot of the gristle mill, a different kind of adversary lies waiting under a shroud of secrecy. My name is Casey. A backwoodsman in mirrored aviators with a tattered bucket hat, fashioned with rusty fishing hooks and the bone of raccoon pecker, introduces himself while standing next to a beat-up 4x4. I head up Jasper Wilcox Transportation Detail. Also an undercover agent for the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, Section 4, Endangered and Threatened Plants. If the stormy animosity among ginsengers and mossers and every forger in between wasn't enough, Appalachian gatherers have spent plenty of restless night worrying on the pursuits of not only Johnny Law, but that most celebrated of revenue men, an arguable outlaw, Uncle Sam who, like the chain of harvesters and buyers, demands his slice of the pie, if not the whole thing. I've been covert for ten years now, Casey says, confidently peeling off his sunglasses before rushing with both hands to put them back on. And in that time we lost 234 different species of flora, which is Latin, but it means the same here in America, or we speak American. Sorry, sorry it's kind of hard to turn off. I've been in the woods for a while now. <laughs> they kind of grow on you. Casey confesses with a shrug, pushing up the brim of his hat to scratch his forehead. I'm sort of known around the department for being a master of disguise. The 35-year-old agency man says, indicating his countrified cover. I first infiltrated the Rampers organization before moving over to the Sassafrasers. Once we got wind of the council, I transferred to the Mossers. A lot of these fellas might own the land, but the United States government and the scientists it employs says they don't own the plants, less than they endangered, which they ain't. Not yet, anyway. Casey acknowledges with a facial tick stressed by the southern sun. They also say they can seize those plants if they so see fit. Without penalty, of course. It's kind of a waiting game. So let me know. 
Leaves are coming for you. Meanwhile, back at the bluff in Mosser territory, Master Mosser J.T. Woolcock takes a break from the countywide confusion to check in on a cherished pastime. Recently, I've taken to the ancient Japanese art of moss miniatures, the grinning mosser says, leading our crew down a treacherous mountain path into a thicket of wild cane. These are my minis over here, my figurines. JT says, bending down next to a luxuriant patch of mountain peat. Now, most folks put them in their terrariums, but I like to stage them out here in the open. And now, wildlife's a bit of a nuisance, especially the possums. They like to gnaw on my lampposts. I got a little wheelbarrow down this way with the tiny tulips. And over here's the fairy garden. See the little cottages? The mosser asked, indicating a micro-sized village of porcelain dwellings and a rose-colored tea house set into the dewy green mountain carpet. I got a Dracula by the stables, eyeing the livestock. Look here, constable coming up behind him. Now, 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 I know what you're thinking. What's a bloodsucker and an old-timey beat cop doing in the fairy garden? Well, now, now, that's the liberating thing about miniatures. You can put them anywhere you want. JT expresses with a flip of the hand. When the frost gets in, I'm gonna do a whole Christmas village back in the pines up that way. Ice skating, tree lot, one of them snowy city diners where you pick up a slice of homemade whiskey cake or popcorn ball on your way out. JT lets on with a twinkle in his eye. I, I, I think the townsfolk would appreciate that, don't you? Sixty miles to the northwest in Cherokee country, Mike Skaggs, nephew of Sanger boss Cornbread Skaggs, is driving over the Tennessee state line to the mountain resort town of Gap Fork to collect dues. Domhock Junction up here by the filling station is a hot spot for us, Mike says with a watchful eye in the mirrorless side mirror of his rickety old pickup truck with the front floorboards eroded away like shotgun spray. Bad winters forced a lot of landowners to have to go out and dig. We need all the money coming in we can get, so we've been outsourcing over the mountains. Gotta keep on our toes, though. We get caught selling sang out here. Boy, that'll mean a heap of trouble. Mike's foot soldiers are stationed all throughout southern Appalachia, and they sell the family sought-after sang to anyone that comes asking. But the dangers of pushing ginseng in another county can turn catastrophic if not deadly. As it did in the fall of 1977, when two Virginia boys and Bush League Sangers, known as the Picket Boys, were caught red-handed by rival ginsengers selling 37 pounds of pure, unauthorized, out-of-state sang. The Picket Brothers were taken to a secure farm where they were run over by a round baler and rolled into two separate 1,500-pound bales of hay. When police discovered the boys' bodies, livestock and scavengers had picked their bones and the hay plum clean, which included a prize bull named Martin that sold at auction for eight grand. With levies collected from Tomahawk Junction, Mike makes his way through the visitor-packed parkways at Gap Fork, a series of ridgeline thoroughfares of scenic pull-offs 
produce stands, and kitschy stop-alongs with Native American knickknacks. Most of the family's big-time China buyers cut ties with us some years back. Mike explains, reaching into his memory with the assistance of a filth-lined fingernail waggled furiously in his ear. As before my time, something about a roadkill feast for the visiting family of our biggest client and an incident with some chopsticks being double-dipped in the Bear Grease Delight. I, I don't know. Contact supposedly fizzled out after that. At the top of the mountain, Mike pulls into the large, quarter-full parking lot of a massive Cherokee-operated and themed casino. A few years back, we started supplying sang to a lot of the tribes. We keep them stocked at a discount course, and in turn, they let us dig on protected land to a quota. I also gift them tickets to the dirt track every Saturday night. Boys love their racing. The yields on the reservation are young, but enough to keep together body and soul me and mine. Mike says gratefully with a nod. I got an in with a few of the fellas that work the craps tables. Y'all better stay in the truck though. These, these guys get a bit button lip around outsiders. The ginsinger cautions while primping himself in the rearview mirror. Feel free to crack the windows if you can find the crank arm. Might have fallen through the floor. Ever since Mike can remember, he sought two things in the vast foothills and mountains of southern Appalachia a precious tong root known as ginseng, and the love and affection of a good woman to call his own. And not too long ago, he had both. But as the seasons turn year after year, old endings present new beginnings. Mike? An annoyed female voice belonging to an off-duty dealer catches our microphones. Please do not tell me you came to my work. Mike, please tell me you did not come to my work. Cece? Well, now don't this beat all, Mike says, putting on a surprised reaction. You still work here? You know I do, Mike. Now go away. Then what kind of greeting is that for an intimate friend? Uh, because I hate you? The young woman says, making no bones about it. What? How come? Gee, let's see. You blew up my mom's car. You burned down my house. You got me fired from the clucking shack. And you stole $1,200. $1,200. That was to decorate the house for you. For us. Honey, I was going to pay you back. Just as soon as the money come in from the truck stop mail enhancement pills. Mike insists. I wanted you to have something nice to come home to. Something respectable like. You did? Of course. Now about your mama's car, that's on me. I'll fest to that one. But I had to store the fireworks somewhere. As for the clucking shack, I thought the dogs might want to see the inside of a working kitchen. I had no idea they were going to mark all that cornmeal. And well, I'm, I'm real, real sorry about the house. I reckon I'll, I'll own up to that one as well. Not that I'm all entirely convinced that couch wasn't already on fire by the time I got there. But did I not remedy the situation by putting a roof over your head? Eventually? After patching that hole in the ceiling where all them birds got stuck? Yeah. Cece squeaks out. Let me take you out Friday. Mike appeals in earnest. Where? Oh, just some of the finest eating in town. You make sure and wear your gut busters. Abruptly, a clamor from inside the casino fills our recording devices with a familiar sound. Gold mushroom, gold mushroom, gold mushroom, I won! I won! 
It's the confident clatter of shrooming enthusiast Ashton Corgi and his tax-deductible cluster of day shroomers. Everybody cash out and meet back at the van in five. We got a lot more ground to cover. In Crocker County, atop the sacred Black Bluff Mountain, Mossman JT welcomes an Atlanta-based movie producer and production designer to scout Moss for an upcoming horror film. This little grove back here is good and ready and should make nice for your picture. The expert Mosser states, leading the team into a shady, boulder-filled section. Go ahead, get down. Feel a patch with your face if it'll help you. Helps me. JT's Moss is in such high demand within the world of independent film, he's able to ask pennies more on the pound than his competitors. And in some cases, an interesting trade will do just fine. One such instance was in 1995, when the industrious gatherer took an associate producer credit in exchange for his popular, audience-pleasing mountain beat. In fact, J.T. Woolcock has quite the filmography, from comedies and period pieces to fantasy epics and monster flicks. Say, is this one of them Japanese horror pictures? J.T. inquires while taking out a sheet of dried seaweed from the front pocket of his overalls. Oh, can I offer you fellas some homemade seaweed? I hang and dry it myself up there in the smokehouse. Lakeweed, actually, JT clarifies. It's got a nice mountain wallop to it. Roll it with some brook trout and black-eyed peas, collard greens. I call it a Crocker County roll, being as that's where we are. After a period of photos and moss samples, including a quick visit to JT's magical munchkin village, the production team and monsters strike a deal for several pallets of that famous Woolcock Mountain Green and seal it with a handshake and a hefty non-disclosure agreement. Suddenly, one of our cameras captures fish and wildlife agent Casey in the distance, wearing a brown ghillie suit and a headdress with an eight-point antler rack, watching the transaction through a pair of binoculars. He struggles with the balance and weight of the headgear like a toddler wearing a bucket. Then hightails it up the mountain in reaction to a hunter's rifle. It's deer season and Casey's camouflage has been classified and cleared for taking. To celebrate the new contract, JT treats the two department heads to dinner at Crocker County's nicest restaurant, La Pimento. Fancy dining with an Italian flair and all the frills of sophisticated society. The Martinsburg favorite is a go-to for commemorating, negotiating, and plain old making merry. Not to mention Woo, that most beloved epicurean prelude to petting. And in a cozy corner, tucked away behind the swinging door of the kitchen, gin singer Mike Skaggs pulls out all the stops to win back the favor of a woman he never forgot. More wine, my baby bumpkin? Mike asks Cece as he pours from the bottle before the kitchen door flies open and smacks against their table. This is, <laughs> this is loads more pleasing than that prune wine I made for us a while back. Mike adds ahead of another whack from the kitchen door. I reckon this won't make your eyes go crossed. Meanwhile, on the other side of the dining room, several tables to the southwest, Moss Harvester J.T. Woolcock wines and dines his new showbiz partners. 
Now, now, as co-producer on this picture, JT says, staging the table, salt and pepper shakers in front of him, I think we ought to make mention of the character's duality in a big way. So if you don't mind, I've taken the liberty of sketching out a few things. The Mosser outlines, presenting several wardrobe gesture designs, rolled and pulled from his overalls. I was thinking something with a zen motif with plays on symmetry. I got some fabric back at the house, I'd be happy to model any of these friends. All of a sudden, in walks mushroomer Ashton Corgi, who's met with a joyous reception from La Pimento's owner and given the best table in the house. I don't believe it, it's that daggum shroom head. Mike says in a fit, scrabbling for a folded up printout from his trail cam. Hey, fungus liquor! Mike shouts from across the room. Think it's high time you and your city friends be on your way. The pecker roots right, JT exclaims, jumping in to back up Mike. There's a reason this town don't serve poke salad no more. Oh, what, the mushroom thing? Ashton asks, casually signaling to the restaurant owner. Oh, I'm over that. In fact, I sold off the whole company to a for-profit group that just wanted the name. Made a fortune. I'm in clamming now. I'm a clamor. Ashton excitedly proclaims, dropping a metal pail onto the table. Brought back these little beauties yesterday. Check out this hard hog. Now tell me, have you ever seen a prettier mollusk in all your life? The now established clamor presents to the pair, holding up a rigid purplish plum slick clam in the palm of his hand as the owner approaches. Throw these together with some golden sweet tomatoes, if you have them, little garlic, white wine, and two twists of organic lemon, my good man. Ashton instructs the owner. Listen, this guy makes a clam scampi that'll eat your butt. Ashton remarks at volume to Mike and JT as the owner leaves the three and takes the pail back to the kitchen, where undercover fish and wildlife agent Casey poses as the restaurant sous chef. Devin, I'm still waiting on that wedge. All ears and eagle-eyed, Casey spies on his respective marks from the kitchen serving hatch, while struggling to keep up with an onslaught of mounting tickets. Clam Clam Tours, my new operation, Ashton continues. I set up shop in the harbor in Dansford with daily trips to the island. Listen, if either of you is looking for a smart investment opportunity, shoot me your personal pitch and portfolio for review. Hey, and another bottle for my friends. Ashton calls for from across the room before raising his glass for a toast. To the land and sea. May their wholesome bounties keep every living creature fat and flush forever. Or I, I caption along those lines. No, that's good. I like that. Fat and flush. Now, if you both could just lean out to either side, I'm going to snap off some selfies for the company page. All across Appalachia, the rich heritage of forging forebears lives on through the sweat, blood, and tears of their devoted descendants. An all-but-forgotten way of life that both rewards and punishes, promises and takes away. A lifestyle lived by the season, challenged by man's progress, and fueled by the pursuit of freedom. And for ginsengers and mossers, that love and labor remain deep in the heart of a wild backwoods frontier.
Six months after the taping of this program, Mike and CC's relationship hit a snag after Mike ran a springtime hair trimming train on his dogs in the couple's kitchen. And CC lost her pinky toe on one of Mike's hillbilly booby traps. After that, CC left the holler, but Mike has vowed to get her back one way or another. JT Woolcock now spends several days out of the week in Atlanta on the set of his new mystery thriller, Body in the Bog, and has reportedly been seen in the city carrying on with the picture's young and attractive female lead. Mushroom returned clamor, Rashton Corgi is settling in nicely to his new coastal command post, and thanks to the steadfast gaggle of out-of-towners and his fresh, simulated gathering experience, he's raking in clams of both kinds. The whereabouts of Casey were officially unknown after the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service stopped receiving regular reports from the agent. Though Appalachian sources believe he's living high in the hills of the Little Chapels in a cinder block stilted cabin with his forager bride and their litter of 15 strong bouncing baby boys. a production of Thaddeus Ellenberg's Casual Friday. Written and read by Thaddeus Ellenberg. With an introduction by Nicole Kalasich. And artwork by Adrian Lobel. This series is independently produced by Thaddeus Ellenberg. To find more episodes and information, visit our website at tecasualfriday.com or email us at contact.casualfriday at gmail.com. Cece, darling, it's just a pinky toe. <laughs>